This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What you are about to hear is a special preview of the Top Rope Nation Classics podcast that is available exclusively over on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Nation. If you enjoy the show that we put together twice a week, you will surely love Top Rope Nation Classics. This episode looks at WWF King of the Ring 93. It's a real deep dive into the history of that event, not just the show itself, but all of the backstage drama that was going on in the WWF at that time, particularly with Hulk Hogan and Bret the Hitman Hart. We have exclusive stories on what was going on backstage. You're going to want to hear this. It's a great show. Listen to the preview here, and then head on over to patreon.com slash Nation. Sign up, get your free gift for signing up, hear the whole show, and all of the editions of Top Rope Nation Classics that are available on demand right when you sign up. Enjoy the preview. We'll see you over on Patreon. up guys this is another edition of top rope nation classics exclusively here on patreon overall we've done around 20 exclusive bonus shows on patreon they're a ton of fun as you are about to find out because we're talking tonight about wwf king of the ring 1993 aka the bret hart show as it would come to be known <laughs> so i have on the line with me here as i usually do on top rope nation kyle ross and my fellow Bret Hart, Mark, Justin Joint. Justin, uh, this is kind of an iconic show in Bret Hart fandom circles, <laughs> and I know you grew up a massive Bret Hart fan like I did. Um, just your initial thoughts about reviewing this this show, King of the Ring 93. Well, in preparation to do the show, I watched this pay-per-view for the first time ever. I was actually out of wrestling by this point. So you were it's, you were kind of early on the uh, the Bret Hart hype train because by '93 I guess he'd already been champion once, but he was he was his stock was definitely accelerating high at this point. Still, he hadn't reached yeah, his zenith yet. It, it's really like I was a huge Hart Foundation fan, um, and the weird thing is, is that like I mean, it was kind of just months after I really kind of stopped watching for whatever reason. I don't I don't remember the exact uh, reason, but. Uh, he won the title from Flair. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I I mainly paid attention by a buddy of mine. Still got the WWE magazine, so that was kind of where I was getting all my information. So one of the things we like to do here on on Top Rope Nation Classics is we kind of give these shows context versus you know what was happening 
in the real world at the time, in sports at the time, in wrestling at the time, but also in King of the Ring itself. Life. It's kind of interesting because the King of the Ring tournament had existed for years before they made it into a pay-per-view. You go back to 1985, and uh, they had a King of the Ring from 85 to 89. They skipped 1990. There was a 1991 King of the Ring tournament. Then 92 didn't happen. And then in 93, we get the pay-per-view moving forward for several years. Um, those early King of the Ring tournaments uh, were usually house show events. Uh, they were in three different cities, Foxborough, Massachusetts for the first two in 85 and 86. Then they were in Providence, Rhode Island uh, for four consecutive King of the Ring tournaments, 87, 88, 89, and 91. Uh, interesting enough, Bret Hart won the 1991 King of the Ring tournament at a house show in Providence. And so it makes him the only two-time winner of the WWF, WWE King of the Ring. And in fact, he had won the previous one uh, going into this one. I don't believe, did they ever reference that on TV? Do you know, Kyle, going into this show? I don't. The previous I was, King of the Rings? That Brett had won it in 91. Was no, that ever? The, I, I, didn't the, that. I don't think that those have ever been spoken of on television, with the exception of the Harley Race one, because they used it to explain why he got the King gimmick. Wait, wasn't, wasn't there a King Haku, too? That was passed from Harley Race, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. oh, gotcha. Yeah. Every other king, it was, yeah, they, they just passed it to Haku and Harley got hurt. And then um, Duggan beat Haku and Savage beat Duggan. And then it just kind of got retired. Yeah. So, like, the Macho King thing, that that lineage went back to Harley winning the 86. Um, yeah, King of the Ring. So, yeah, there was there were numerous ones, like I said. But Don Morocco won the first one in 85, then Harley. Savage actually won it in 87, but that was never woven into his character until, you know, two years later. DiBiase in 88, Tito Santana in 89, and then, like I said, Brett 91. Uh, I do know that the 91 King of the Ring, there is a fan cam out there of that entire show because I have it on VHS somewhere. Got it tape trading years ago. I don't know about the earlier ones before that, but 91 does exist. So it may be on YouTube. I didn't even go and look, but I know I have a VHS tape of it. I don't know if... Either of you have seen any of that, but the 91 King of the Ring from Providence definitely exists. It's out there. So, uh, yeah, 93. I mean, it, it's the Bret Hart show. He wrestles three times on this show. We're going to get to all of the matches here in just a second. It's also notable because this was Bret or uh, Hulk Hogan's final WWF pay per view until 2002. You know, so for many years, we thought this was Hogan's last WWF television match um and as it would turn out that wouldn't be the case but you know when i was getting into coliseum videos and all of that another reason i wanted it is because it was hogan's last wwf around so we're gonna get into the time machine we're gonna go back to sunday june 13th 1993 before we do a quick word from our sponsors our good friends over at betonline.ag There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. 
get in the DeLorean. We're going back in time to Sunday, June 13th, 1993. The qualified is complete for the King of the Ring. Let's run down the matchups for the opening round in this exciting one night. So, King of the Ring 93 drew a legitimate sellout of about 6,500 fans on this day. Just under uh, $80,000 at the box office at the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio. Across the state from our good buddy Kyle Ross. And, uh, the it was heartland a br- of America. They really made that clear during this show. <laughs> over and over for the Yokozuna-Hulk Hogan match. Do we think that was one of those deals where Vince doesn't think the city's big enough? So, yeah. <laughs> So he just wanted to constantly refer to it as the heartland of America. I mean, I don't know if that's probably. true. I mean, the, okay, place, like, the place was brand new, I guess, but it only sat 6,500 people. So, I mean, not, yeah, not I mean, the biggest place. No, I mean, it was really small paper for attendance for WWE pay-per-view, uh, even by that era's standards. But yeah, I, I, if that's true that Vince sometimes, you know, shies away from naming the city if he doesn't think it's worthy of being named, um, then I could see that's why they came up with Heartland of America and just said it over and over again. I don't understand what else it brings to the table, if not that. (laughs) It's true. And they did have the Hogan-Yokozuna match. I mean, they were trying to go for, you know, nationalism or xenophobia, whatever you want to call for it. Oh, yeah. I I wrote down some quotes. I love tournaments. I I love the idea of the King of the Ring. And I'm watching this like, they did a good job. Why, Why can't they do a good job going forward. They really can't put together a coherent tournament that isn't just like five minute matches. I mean, you know, deadly games, that was a good story. Uh, match quality wasn't anything to write home about, but I just, I don't understand how they were only able to pull this off once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Kyle, as far as how this one ranks to the other King of the Rings? Yeah, that's a really good point that Justin made that they only pulled off once because kind of piggybacking off what both of you said in terms of the tournament itself being the focus, this was the best King of the ring pay-per-view by far. I think you got to remember by the time 96 hit, they were just doing semis and finals. Yeah. It wasn't even really completely based around the tournament. I mean, for this, the turn, there was a WWF title match and it was noteworthy and the belt changed, but the show was very much promoted around the concept of the tournament and the King of the Ring being this very prestigious thing, um, they gave it to guys. They planned on headlining SummerSlam the next two years, so it's not like they just were just throwing it on anybody. But kind of to what Justin said, they just never were able to do a tournament very well. Um, and that goes for the history of the promotion. Mm-hmm. So uh, in The Observer... The next week, Dave Meltzer noted that this was praised as the best, best WWF pay-per-view since the 92 SummerSlam. Um, he talks about Brett being the star of the show. In fact, he titles it at the top of the newsletter, King of the Ring, the Bret Hart Show, just like I called it a few minutes ago. Uh, the the voting, I guess, in The Observer was overall. One of the larger concepts uh, of this show, up. or the big story, is what was going on at the top of the card, because Bret Hart had been the WWF champion the previous fall into WrestleMania 9. 
anyone listening to this and subscribing on Patreon, I'm sure is very familiar with what happened at WrestleMania 9. It's still controversial in some circles with uh, Bret Hart losing the title to Yokozuna and then Hulk Hogan coming down and getting the title just minutes later and becoming the world champion out of WrestleMania 9 in Vegas. And so King of the Ring kind of comes right between Mania and SummerSlam. And there's a lot of heat to this day between Bret and Hulk and what was supposed to happen at SummerSlam that year. And King of the Ring was supposed to play a very big part in those plans. Because, um, as Kyle mentioned, the winner of the King of the Ring a few times went on to get a title shot at SummerSlam. That happened in 94 with Owen. It happened in 95 with King Mabel. But it did not happen in 93. Yeah, (laughs) it did not happen in 93. And there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And I'm going to quote from Bret Hart's biography, which is one of the greatest wrestling biographies ever written. If you haven't read it, definitely check it out. Came out in 2007. But Bret, very, very detailed about what happened in 93 going around uh, before and after and during the King of the Ring. And he writes in May the plan was still for... Hogan and himself, Brett, to have a title match at SummerSlam 93. He writes that on May 24th, he was summoned to a secret photo shoot in Halifax to do a promotional uh, shot for match. SummerSlam to kick off Brett's journey run. Uh, I love the near fall on the small package when he reversed the Razor's Edge. Razor, as was made obvious by the commentary, and I kind of want to talk about the commentary here in a minute, uh, he was embroiled in the 1-2-3 kid feud, and he would turn babyface. Not very long after this. So, you know, he does the big job or, he, you know, does a clean job here. But there's greener pastures ahead and he would be intercontinental champion within a couple months and have a really good run. Probably the best run of his career yeah. following this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was wondering if uh, they were trying to make a, a story out that wasn't there when Razor was walking out and Jim Ross was saying you could hear the crowd chanting one, two, three. Uh, you know, because, you know, recently the one, two, three kid had a major upset win over Razor Ramon. But uh, during that match, you can definitely hear a, a pretty big one, two, three chant. Yeah. This is when I texted you guys in, in our group text and I said that this crowd in Dayton, Ohio, with 6,500 people, would put most crowds today for WWE to shame, you know, when they're actually in I front of a live match. Crowd. I haven't watched this it in years, but I've always looked back at it as my favorite Brett Perfect match. And on the rewatch, rewatch, it definitely stands the test of time. I would stand by that. I wouldn't mind watching it again right now, to be honest with you. Justin, what did you think of the match? Oh, yeah, I, I loved it. Um, fantastic match. Uh, I'm still partial to the SummerSlam one. I think it, it's just, for me, it's a it's a bigger moment. It, it made Brett as a singles wrestler, you know, his first singles title. Uh, the iconic image of him with the title along with Perfect's singlet. Um, you know, in a vacuum, I, in the ring, this is a better match, but I give me the SummerSlam one every day. Yeah. I think historically speaking, definitely for the title win, that definitely makes sense. What do you think, Kyle? It's a match of the year candidate. Both of them are, I would give them both four and a half stars. So Mm -hmm. you can argue either one's better, but it's pretty close. I think, I don't think one is demonstrably better than the other. This match did show to me and you referenced it, Ryan being a pretty tight match. It's better to pack more into an 18-minute match than go 25-plus with dull spots. There was really no resting in this. Mm-hmm. It felt like a tournament match. There was a sense of urgency. I really enjoyed it. 
perfect working subtle heel was the key to the match. It was a total value add. It wasn't a traditional babyface versus babyface. You know, a lot of times that doesn't work, particularly in this era. This was not the fight forever era. <laughs> it, you know, so perfect because they were putting over Brett in the end. He worked subtle heel. I thought it made the match better. Bobby Heenan was hilarious in this match when he promised to take perfect back if perfect won King of the Ring and apologized to him. That, yes. I was in tears during that <laughs> spiel. And like Jay, uh, Ross and Savage like totally know so that they're like, oh yeah, I'm sure it'll be high on his list of priorities or something like that. So that was funny. Uh, this match being so good, this was a note I had. And I think Ryan Drosty, you'll enjoy this note, quite frankly. <laughs> I'm ready. But Let's this match it. being so good kind of makes you wonder what went wrong with perfect and Sean at SummerSlam. Yeah couple months later because that was not a good match really it was Mm -hmm. below average uh despite them promising it would be the greatest intercontinental title match of all time it was anything but so you know it's not like perfect wasn't capable of having good matches anymore here he is in june as maybe the best wwf match of the year for 1993 two months later he works with sean the other way they did it when gene was giving that soliloquy about hulk hogan (laughs) <laughs> and you saw Hogan's face, but it was just the back of Jimmy Hart's jacket. I didn't mind that. I'll be honest with you. I remember oh. halfway through, I'm like, oh, this is a hoot. I don't know if you guys noted this or not, but um, Jimmy Hart quoted during this interview uh, pretty much verbatim what would become Hogan's WCW theme song, which I'm sure he wrote. Uh, the American Made song. I'm going to overlay it here as I mix this later on. Oh. But, uh... <laughs> American Made! Yes. So, like, the first the first verse of that song is, he's got the red, white, and blue running through his veins. He was born and raised in the U.S. of A. And Jimmy Hart says that in this promo. The next line in the Ooh, song is, he's it. government inspected, he's U.S. grade. That's not in this promo. But the next line is, he does say, if you mess with the flag, it's like a slap in his face. This man has red, white, and blue running through his veins. And he was born and raised in the USA. And Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna, when you talk about the flag, and when you talk about America, it's like a slap in the hawkster's face, baby. So three of the four lines of Hogan's WCW theme song, which was... So there uh, you have it. There's some small snippets of the King of the Ring 93 Top Rope Nation classic show. You want to hear the full thing once again, head on over to patreon.com slash Nation. There's a link to the page right here in the description of the podcast. Sign up. You get a free gift for doing so. You get full access to this show. In all editions of Top Rope Nation Classics we've done in the past, there's 20 bonus shows over on Patreon. We do at least one of these new classic shows each and every month. The full show on King of the Ring 93 has full in-depth reviews of every single match on this show. And like I said, and like you heard some snippets of there, tons of backstage stories and details on what was going on in the promotion in 1993. An incredibly interesting time in the history of the WWE. Patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. We'll see you soon. This is Brandon Kelly 
the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. 